When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for supporting the Fable and Folly Network. Here's another show we know you'll love. Every day in the nice little Canadian town of Beavermount, Ontario, is pretty much the same. Folks are polite. There's a hockey game that evening. And someone gets brutally murdered. Sorry About the Murder, a very Canadian murder mystery podcast. New episodes weekly. Listen to season one now by typing Sorry About the Murder into your favorite podcast app. Ah, Bailu! that helps you feel more comfortable playing the games that you want to play. We answer your questions and turn them all into great advice. I'm your DM, Russ Moore, from Dungeons & Dragons. And I'm your GM, Sean Howard, from The End of Time and Other Bothers. And with us today, a very special guest... Travis Vengroff from Dark Dice and Liberty Vigilance. Thank you for being with us, Travis. We're very excited to jump into this mailbag episode with you here today. Super happy to be here. Thanks, guys. So with a mailbag, there's sometimes like today when we have a whole slew of questions that kind of all fall into one theme. They're just one-offs, but we want to answer them. And we're going to do that for you here today with the master of horror D&D podcast, Travis Vengroff. From Dark Dice. Dark dun, dun, Dice. Dun. He's got a jar full of teeth. Human teeth. Oh, don't. Oh. Why? <laughs> Why do you have a jar full of human teeth? Okay, I gotta ask, Travis, is it true? Did you actually meet someone under a bridge? I cannot affirm nor deny if there was a bridge involved, <laughs> but I have these to show for it. Oh, do. Oh, oh. They're heavier than I thought they'd be. Yeah. What? That's for another day. Yeah, let's move on. Four shots. Yeah, <laughs> okay. vomits. So, our first question. <sighs> you threw me off with Are showing you doing me the teeth. Discourse, Ethically sourced, doing I'm sure you. I, I believe it. Um, our first question comes from our Discord. Come join us over there, link down in the description. And it comes from Mike is Egerton. And Mike asks, how do you keep it spooky? And by it, we mean uh, your gameplay or your story. How do you keep it spooky and fun, but not scary and off-putting and overtly violent, grotesque at times? Uh, he says, for me, that's important, but I know someone outright scary. So how... When you have a table, maybe you, you regularly play, you know, more more loosey-goosey, more fun. How do you still keep some of the atmosphere to it to make it spooky and scary, but not quite go so far? We'll get to the question that asks, how do we go so far as to scare everybody? Um, but how do we get there um, and and make people, make people spooked? Cool. There's a couple things you can do. Uh, first and foremost, I would like to welcome the use of a thing called the X card. Uh, or just if you don't have the X card, you can uh, 
You can have a like a safe word or something that basically lets your players know which is the X card. It's a physical card with an X drawn on it that they can each have, or you can have one on the table and they can throw it down like a Yu-Gi-Oh attack. And it will stop the scene because it is something uncomfortable to them that's been pulled up. So making sure that everyone's really comfortable and kind of like in a mindset and headspace of, hey, let's go into a haunted house. It's going to be fun and spooky, but we're all like going there to be spooked, but have a good time at the same time. We can still crack jokes because that's a thing, but we're not going to try and like crack nonstop jokes to keep it entirely comedic and then go left when we're supposed to go into the haunted house. But uh, (laughs) he said at two people who are on the other end of the Uh microphones. I feel um, like there's a subtext to this answer. But the the (laughs) subtext of the answer is uh, really just making sure that everyone's really comfortable uh, and and that they're okay with the the horror that you have and that you're keeping it fairly tasteful. Uh, And and that's uh, tasteful is defined by kind of you knowing the people you're playing with. And if you don't, maybe ask them to fill out a quick questionnaire about things that they're okay with or they like or dislike or movies that they enjoy or books they enjoy reading that are in the genre of horror, maybe what they consider horror. Um, cause that can also vary widely. Some people think certain movies are scary that I think are entirely comedic. Um, or, or the other way around. Um, you know, I find things with memory loss, very terrifying, even though it's supposed to be a drama or something. So it's, there's different degrees and, and really knowing who you're talking with, knowing who your audience is and who you're playing with. And then also like reinforcing like, Hey, this is going to be like scary. So writing up a bunch of descriptions ahead of time really helps, um, make things more creepy. Uh, the so can curse you, of, can you talk about, yeah, I want you to talk about that because like, okay, if I'm watching a movie, I know when they're setting up for a jump scare, right? Like you get in tight on the person as they're walking and, you know, there's certain things that we've learned, right? Through like watching horror movies, which I don't watch a lot of, but, um, like what are some of the, like, how do you run a, a game? Like, and I, we were, you recorded as well. So what's actually, what have you found like really works to create that? That kind of like, can you do a jump scare? To some degree, you can. Uh, it's it's not the same jump scare as film. Uh, don't get that wrong. Uh, but you you can uh, like, for instance, ah, you know, you can have those moments uh, suddenly unexpectedly appear. It's not quite the same gravity, and it's not going to give someone a heart attack in theory. Uh, but they can be like jarring briefly, or things that they taking perception and the player's perception uh, as now a questionable thing. And, you know, validating certain elements of their perceptive abilities over time is kind of what it's about. Investigatory, uh, that's how I've been running it. I don't do a lot of, like, super gory horror, although that does come up when they encounter monsters and start cutting them apart, like zombies or whatever. But my, my Yeah, can you talk is... more about that? Because that was, I found that very scary. That idea that we start to not know what's real when it builds slowly is scary as a player. Yeah, just descriptions really help. And the more active you can make things, even inanimate objects uh, help. Um, The Curse of Strahd book has a really great like two or three page description on just like how to create atmosphere and like how to write descriptions. And here are some additional resources of places you can go to find those. I've read most of the D&D books cover to cover uh, for 5e and then some of the older ones too. and, and they all kind of focus on the same thing, which is just really making riveting descriptive text, not naming monsters, but just describing them, not naming, you know, it's a house, but describing the house, maybe the exterior, the weather, getting into other sensory perceptive abilities that maybe aren't just the five sense, or sorry, not just sight, 
Uh, but you can also get into ones that the players have that we might, might not have. Some of them have magical abilities or they can detect things that we can't do in real life, sort of like how sharks can feel electromagnetism in the air around or in the water around them. Some players have that ability with magic. So that can be terrifying, you know, basically playing their fears or their abilities against them and kind of always asking what are they seeing and not like validating like you see a ghoul. It's, you know, it's it's a pair of glowing eyes in the dark some distance away. You can always, of course, say like, you know, 25 feet away or, or whatever, but <laughs> I like to ramble. <laughs> yeah, keep, so. No, that's really good. Um, I think that gives a lot of um, a lot of ways to kind of keep people. I, I like the the X card idea, and there's a few different systems out there. That if we're just getting back to sorry, getting back to Mike's original question of how do you make it spooky and scary, but not too far. Um, I really like the X card idea. There's also the the red light, yellow light, green light, where you have, you know, just three different cards that you can hold up saying, you know, I'm okay doing whatever we're doing. You know, this is starting yellow is starting to get into some shady territory, maybe start to back off, and red is like is the X card. It's like stop immediately and move on to the next scene. Um, so I really like that helping create a safe playing space for you and your players by giving them um, a, a way out of a situation that they otherwise, you know, might not have found themselves in throughout gameplay. Jennifer Kretschmer uses that a lot. And I had the extreme pleasure of, of playing a game with her with my my home team uh, once briefly uh, early in October. It was just like that was a mind blowing idea. One of a couple. Okay, that helps with uh, making things spooky but not scary, or scary but not spooky, you know what I mean. In an RPG session now, what tricks do you use maybe around the table or just in uh, in creating uh, some more atmosphere to create a sp- suspenseful horror atmosphere for your players? What are th- some things that we can throw at people um, in order to make it feel a little more involved? There's a couple things you can do. Uh, Music is an easy uh, answer, and there are great soundtracks out there you can get for free, uh, or you can stream or Bandcamp or purchase. Uh, Some of my favorites are works by Brandon Boone from the No Sleep podcast, because it's usually very slow, and it's it's not meant to be like taking over the scene, but it's also really moody and dark. Uh, Terminus being his latest album, and I've just like, we use that for our house music for our live show. Like, it's it's just super spooky and fun. Um... Another uh, thing you can do is swap out your flickering actual electrical lights with some old-fashioned candles, assuming you have not too many flammable things around your table or cats that might bump that over. That's sometimes an option. If you are of the uh, terrain variety, you can certainly uh, build some things that are are creepy or or make things or use miniatures. Uh, People... Don't like seeing their miniatures put into areas that are very narrow, if they're like even claustrophobic a little bit sometimes. Uh, so there's there's lots of different things you can do visually, or you could put down like a giant monster that always terrifies people. Sometimes. Or sometimes it's exciting depending on the context. Because that's some things you can do around the table, like just bring you know people coming into the house. You can make it kind of more of a a spooky haunted house style feel. Um, but what are some things that we can do in in game to keep it thematic? Uh, one that I think you mentioned before was more description based than saying you see a zombie. Yeah, you can do that. You can also uh, add 
like non-rule things to your game. So there's a descriptor somewhere online of like a hundred zombie variants. And it's like, all right, you're fighting a zombie, but, uh, and, and then there's the, but, so you fight the zombie. It's got some sort of creepy thing that it does after you kill it or while you're fighting it, like, okay, you cut it, you killed it. Now it's cut in half, but both sides are still coming after you or you've killed it. Uh, and it explodes into a cloud of smoke and, uh, it, it is, or you struck at it and it exploded into a cloud of black smoke because it's not entirely corporeal. It's like a fungal thing. It's not a straight up zombie. Um, you can just randomly throw variables at, at creatures. And again, you can also call your players, um, what they're seeing into question. If, if you really want to go the, the sanity route, which I, I love doing like there's, there's a moment in time in dark dice. It's a bit of a spoiler where there's like a total party kill. And then they like walk into the room and the encounter starts again because it never happened. It was all in one person's head. Right. And the fight hasn't started. The monsters haven't appeared, but they think they now know it's going to happen. And you can either, you know, play into their delusions or uh, you can go in a completely different direction. So there are a lot of different things you can do. You don't have to be married to the rules and... I know that can be frustrating to some players, uh, but if you play it in such a way that it's not annoying or irritating to your players, but like it works in their favor, they'll oftentimes be uh, grateful. But like, oh, that was really smart what you did there when you threw that giant monster that killed all of us in like two hits because it rolled critical (laughs) successes, but it wasn't really there. That's so cool. You're like, yes, (laughs) I planned this. Yes, good. (laughs) So uh, you can basically uh, don't don't feel married to the rules. Feel free to challenge norms that are generally accepted and uh, don't be confined by the box that is you know, the one that we typically think of as being the rules or even how you would experience something. I want to talk you. You do a really good job in your games, Travis, of making the players doubt what's real. Thank you. Can you talk about like how you do that? Like, because. You do it well, and that it 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 seems to require giving information to one player that's not going to another, but I, I, there's not a lot of delays at your table to make that happen. Can you sort of talk about the different mechanisms you use to make people doubt what's real, right? Because um, it really gets freaky after a while because your your character is starting to you don't know, right? Like, are you seeing what's really happening or are you not? So sometimes I do this thing where I will make more than one player in on the delusion that is going to happen, and I ask for them to play along for a little bit. I pass them a note. I pass them a text. Before the game starts, I'll give them a quick briefing and like, okay, at some point you're going to enter this room, and that's where I need you to turn to the players and just attack them. You're like, what? <laughs> right. It's like, yeah, because you'll you've already been like at some point in the game, you'll have been replaced by a doppelganger or something. You know, you're like, oh, what? Right. Like, yeah, they're gonna have to find you. That's like part of the thing. When they go through the mist, you were the one who got caught, and that's what we're gonna do. Are you cool with this? And they're like, Yeah, I'm on board with this is gonna be fun. And now they're suddenly like in on this cosmic joke that the other players are like, Oh my gosh, that's gonna be really awesome. So um having, having experienced other- it, I can tell you it's freaky when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> so having a uh, player buy-in to some of your, your tricks is, can be really, really amazing. Um, if, if they're cool with it and, you know, you have to make sure cause it's their characters, their agency, uh, that's, that's again, the X card and consent, yeah. that whole thing. 
Uh, if you can do that, that, that can be really fun. Other ways you can question uh, is, is by continuously, again, challenging the rules of, of even like physics. Like, okay, they open a door uh, after being inside of a tunnel for a long period of time and suddenly they're in a forest and there's a sky or they're on a beach somewhere. Like you, you don't have to fall into the three dimensions. You can get into like the multiverse stuff that D&D or the planes of existence that D&D loves so much. And uh, it can really, you know, expanding on those ideas or, or exploring those ideas can be very fun. Did that help? <laughs> no, I just, I had never thought of it until I played one of your games. This idea mm-hmm. that you can, because I hate perception rolls, but this idea that even you don't even need a roll, you can just, you can just make the players start to doubt what's real, and it's really freaky. Some of it, and I'm, and I'm sure you you kind of touched on it there, Travis, is is preparing ahead of time. A lot of that, obviously, um, having those notes ready to pass. You know, you know, typing out some of that text that you send to the player on, on zoom or on Skype or something. And, and in that private message and just let what I like to do, what I've liked to start to do is give the players a little more ability to describe what their character sees. So if they walk into a room, one of them looks around the corner to see what's there. Instead of me describing it to the table, what that one character sees show that person that player a picture of what they of what their character sees and then have them describe it so they don't have a name they don't have a thing anything attached to it they just see this this ghoulish thing with skin falling off of it and they have to describe that in their own words as their character to the other players and that can give it another cool feel at the table too that's really cool thing and uh also similarly uh jumping back a little bit you can give out like handouts like pieces of paper or like i have a medallion that was made that's got some creepy symbols on it that uh strahd passed to one of our players as like a token of like oh you were (laughs) you dicked over the other people good on you maybe you're good enough to rule barovia one day we'll see (laughs) (laughs) probably not but uh just stuff like that i yes um, this next question comes from uh, Twitter at our misadventures, which is the Rolling Misadventures podcast. And they ask uh, for a table that tends to be more comedic in nature. Any tips ah. on trying to shift the mood for horror one shots and mini campaigns? They go on to ask for recommendations of horror one shots. But I think the first one is the bigger question here. So how do you shift from uh, a group that is more comedic and 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 ready to just have fun to something that is more spooky and scary and horror based. Uh, in my own personal attempts, it goes a little bit army of darkness, but it's still, uh, it, that still can be really delightfully. I mean, some people actually do see the evil dead series as being very scary. Uh, one and two and the TV show with Ash continuing on. If you follow that parallel at all. Anyway, yeah, absolutely. Um, Kind of some of the things that I said earlier, uh, just be like, all right, we're going to try and we're going to try and really be scary here. OK, guys, like uh, we're, that's that's our, our attempt here. And um, ask, you know, trying to have them be in character as they experience things, which can also be extremely comedic if they're, you know, if, if you've got a character who's essentially like Shaggy from uh, the mystery team, uh, <laughs> Scooby-Doo. But you <clears throat> having having kind of like character flaws or things in a one off that would lend themselves toward. Uh, maybe being able to trust themselves less or trust the other players less, um, working against, you can, 
when I get character sheets from like four or five people in a one-off, I can almost like draw um, points of connectivity in their backstories. It's like, okay, this person doesn't like wolves. This person was raised by wolves. Like, and you can kind of guide them during the character creation session also to have like, all right, well, here are some reasons why they wouldn't completely trust each other, even though they have the same goal, which is the skyhook principle. You want everyone working toward the same goal, or at least a very similar one, uh, at least right. to the very last moment. But <laughs> and then I don't know, those good. are those are some in things. In Dark Dice, like you had a moment where, like, so Di- Dark Dice season one is pretty scary, and then in Dark Dice, you brought in two crazy comedy guys. I don't know who those were. Um, <laughs> And but I remember have you having a conversation right where you as the GM sort of sat down with us and said with the whole table right and was like hey this is getting a little more comedy and I remember you asking like do people want to go more towards dark or do they want to do more Army of Darkness like I remember that you sort mm-hmm. of talked to the table about that yeah it's about having fun it really is at the end of the day like even if you're an entertainer you're an entertainer but you're also your goal is to like be enjoyable content and create enjoyable content and have the people involved enjoy the content they're creating. So I think that's very important. And not to not to single the two of us out, um, but we I think we were the catalysts in that decision. Um, but there were hugs involving knives. We we tried. I, I feel like the two of us tried very hard in the first couple sessions to be brooding and dark and mysterious. Yeah. And then and then Clarence got involved. I don't know if it was. Yeah, like I. We don't have to get into it, obviously, but there's one moment where I I don't I can't remember when it happened, but the past phrase was pineapple. That's yeah. OK. Yeah, that was that. Yeah. Sorry. That might that have was been one me. of the moments. Yeah. Uh, OK, so it was me. It's my fault. <laughs> I take full credit for it. But that anyways, was the, the there, was a, there, there was a couple moments where things happened and then you as the DM stepped into it and we're like, OK, well. Clearly, I can't trust these these knuckleheads to keep it super spooky and scary. Let's try to veer it and see if we can't either steer it back or just go on this new path and see where that takes. Yeah, I think adapting and being like, okay to adapt, like maybe your players are are playing because they everyone plays for a different reason or has a different outcome that they want to desire when going into a haunted house. Usually a lot of people just want to be like scared. So people want to close their eyes and run through it and say they did it. So that's the achievement. Like they check the box. Other people right. want to go in and see the costumes because those can be really cool or they're like, you know, more artistically inclined. Um, so just knowing the goals of your players and what they want out of the experience is like super helpful. Second part of the question from at our misadventures. Uh, also, recommendations on horror one-shot games. Travis, you got any you can throw at us here? I have a couple. Um, Tasha's Madhouse is an absolute delight. It will. Uh, it can alter your campaign entirely. It's uh, made by some really nice people. It's very inexpensive. I think it's two dollars on Drive Through RPG or, or Pay What You Want or something like that. Totally worth it. It's it's fabulous. Um, I don't know if, I guess this is DMs to listen to, so I can tell the story a little bit, uh, but maybe not too much. You you go into this town, you can't find anybody, you find a small boy sobbing next to, like, where the carnival was supposed to be, and that's that's your path in, and it's it's awesome, and it has so many different layers. Nice, that sounds like fun. Another one. You should play that one. That sounds delightful. I would not <laughs> use the word delightful for that. <laughs> Um, 
Another one that I think is actually a, a great horror, um, it's it's not supposed to be a one-off, but it was run as a one-off for decades, uh, the the Tomb of Tomokshlian, which is found in Tales from the Yawning Portal. It has many okay, elements yeah. that are, are delightful and a little bit Indiana Jonesy, but it can easily be spun with horror elements and run pretty, thrown through pretty quickly. Um, I haven't got to actually run that one yet, but having read it quite a few times some of the stuff in there is really scary if you just you know with the right descriptions or the right uh mindset it goes from being like huh we're battling a a thing to like oh my god we're battling this thing what is it oh my gosh <laughs> extra planar forces and and darkness and aging. Hey, say tomb tomb of tumultuum uh, uh the, or the is hidden, it tomb hidden, of... shrine, hidden shrine oh okay yeah yeah right yeah of tumultuum cool. Yeah. Yep. And then finally, I'd be uh, amiss if I didn't recommend my own uh, book, Domain of the Nameless God, which should be on Drive Through RPG any day now. Definitely check that one out. Um, having, it, having, yeah, having played parts of it, it's pretty scary. I don't know. I don't even know if we've played parts of it, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> we went south. Always go we south. Always go south. I've planned so much south. Uh, this next question comes from a Twitter as well at Volley Londa, who is him from the Lucky Die podcast, and uh, on this, Dark Dice, and on Dark Dice, and on the Whitefall. Jeez, she's everywhere. Uh, asks, how do you keep the game interesting for a player who is a plant to progress the plot? Side note: also players as plants. She she then laughed at it, so I assume she's just joking. This, anyways. Oh, I like. Yeah, that she's one. not traumatized yeah. by anything you've done or anything. No, I I like plant players. I I think they can have amazing adventures into battling the fungi world, finding photosynthesis, and you know, fulfilling their dreams <laughs> of of a greener world. Yeah, I think that's totally. I or just think like, she's referring to where you get someone to pretend they're part of the party and then reveal themselves as the dark one. Oh, that's a little different than the plants that I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Again, let's try not to spoil anything, obviously, but, um, you know, just as a generality, uh, when you have a player at a table or ask a player to join a table, um, you know, how do you keep it interesting for them knowing they have this one singular goal and then their player may or not may or may not be there anymore? What do you do for them in order to keep them at it? Uh, again, I think the skyhook principle is pretty big. So if everyone has like a shared overarching goal and maybe they have a few deviations or uh, you spin the story in such a way where you have the plot moving in a direction or toward a specific location... But on the way to that location, there's a nice, you know, quiet little alley where murder could take place or something to that effect. Uh, you can you can keep everyone moving in the same direction, moving toward the same goal. And they all know that if they're sacrificed in that alley, that good things will happen to them in the afterlife. You know, that's that's kind of you. But, or if it's not a location, a physical location, it can be like, well, we don't want the world to end from this dragon because me, the evil person. Uh, I, I would actually prefer to see the world destroyed by my deity. Thank you very much. You know, you've got other motivating factors that have some goals in common is a good thing. So can you talk about, you've talked about where you say to a player, hey, at this certain point, the misty room, after the mist, when you enter this room, you're going to attack the players. Um, but is, I guess what we're asking is, it, it, 
Your plan is not that they will then be removed from the table for the rest of the night, is it, generally? Or you have some method for keeping them engaged in the game? Oh, uh, absolutely. Like, they'll start hearing the screams of the player immediately after the the reveal. Like, that's kind of the, the intent behind uh, that sort of a, a plant. Um, however, I have done things where a player wasn't even, like, really there. They were just a, they were an NPC that the other people did not know was an NPC until it was too late. <laughs> but typically speaking, and if you have friends and you're, you're doing this with friends, uh, you can you, you really don't want to split the party up. That's never very fun for half the people involved. So having like them immediately find the person after or realize like, and then the player walks into the room as you're talking to their character. Wait a minute, there's two of them. And then you suddenly have this issue and they have agency over maybe both of them for a brief point in time. But you've already pre-talked to them about this. Like, oh, no, that's the fake one. No, that's the fake one. He's got a beard. <laughs> it's always the one with the beard. But he took my beard. You know. um, I think we've got time for one more question here. Um, and you're playing in Dark Dice. Uh, you incorporate a, a mechanic that not a lot of games incorporate, and that's sanity. Um how do you recommend incorporating new mechanics into your games um, and make them, um, i.e. insanity or exhaustion, and make them more roleplay heavy pieces rather than just strictly mechanics-based ones? So if the rule influences how people are playing, uh, it is being used effectively. And that's like to say, like, okay, you have one level of exhaustion that kind of stinks and, you know, but generally speaking, you don't try to like exhaustion does not play a large role in most Dungeons and Dragons campaigns. Uh, yeah. However, you have to sleep and kind of the point of dark dice is you're not going to sleep or you're not going to eat. Bad things are going to happen when you attempt to sleep. So by making it an emphasis or making it something like actually a part of your goal is now to like make sure you, you know, brush your teeth twice a day and uh, get a good night's rest. Uh, that's a way it can be emphasized. Also, having it have larger consequences that in the descriptive text, you know, the character, when they're fighting and they swing their weapon, you know, it's not like, haha, triumphant strike. It's, you know, weary from hours of exhaustive, of exhaustive tasks and no sleep. They're able to land a glancing blow and you'll have damage because of their exhaustion you can right. you so can you're using <laughs> yeah you're using exhaustion because you know the players don't want to sleep because that's when you for in dark dice i don't i don't think we're sharing too much when you go to no, sleep no, no. you no longer know what's real and what's not right have you woken up have you not woken up bad right. things happen so, right so the players are trying to not i can attest to this they're trying to not go to sleep and so you're basically using the exhaustion to force them to realize we have to sleep yeah, um, I did that a little bit in Vigilance as well. Um, I tried to to gamify certain things uh, in that regard. I think most successfully was exhaustion, but I think I cut most of it out because they were really good about maintaining a good sleep schedule, even though it was a 32-hour days and they're trying to operate nocturnally in a place where they had like no safe havens. Mm -hmm. right. And then talk to us about the sanity, because that's something also you you've introduced and played with, right? What's that been like? I guess that been successful, you think? No, it, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Uh, being able to outright lie to players about the things that they are not actually seeing, or have conspiracies against certain people, 
um, and have entire scenes happen and exchanges happen and dialogues happen that are completely wrong from one person's perspective. Like it's, it's all in their head. That's, that's been a lot of fun or, or they can find secret doors that no one else can see and, and disappear into thin air. Um, it's, it's been fun to explore as a storytelling, uh, avenue, uh, because magic is real in Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, so sometimes the insanity is real. Uh, and sometimes, you know, the, it's always which story is going to be the most fun outcome for all the players involved and, and having that option and having the ability to say, oh, you guys didn't really die or things of that nature is just so much of a toolkit as a DM that I would highly recommend others maybe consider taking up if they wish to go the horror route. Yeah, I love the whole sanity thing, the way you play it, because it's sort of like the real Alice in Wonderham, like the Lewis Carroll like, you know, everything is weird and any at any moment you can stumble through a doorway that other people can't see, right? And so it's, yeah, it's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, and you play it in an interesting way in that, I mean, we play all over, uh, all over, you know, video. Uh, so we, we don't really, you can't look to the player to your right and see, oh, well, they've got this high of a sanity, you know, thing. So whatever was just described to them probably isn't real. We can't see that. Um, or you keep it more secretive in a way in that nobody really knows their total. So when you're describing something, it, it, you're pulling the wool over everybody's eyes, which is plays into the fact that, you know, it could be harder for somebody to know what's going on than another. Also, I am genuinely trying to kill the players, which is a slight difference from my table games at home. Like I don't want to kill players at home because it's like about empowerment and in actual plays, it's like about the story. So it's like, Slight, slight differentiation there for people who are DMing or GMing at home. I, I highly don't recommend unless they're totally cool with it and like they want to do that. Yeah. Like not attempting to kill your players at every turn as hard as you possibly can. Just yeah, right. to let you know, just to let you know, Travis, I've made it my goal to be on Dark Dice season 12. <laughs> and I will be there, damn it. <laughs> we shall see. He's not joking. He's not joking. He's actually told me this. Yeah. My, that's my one life goal now is just to live forever. <laughs> Everyone listening to this can be like, what? We've never heard Russ and Sean on Dark Dice. What are they talking about? I'll give it a season. <laughs> 2023, as Sean said earlier. 2023. I'm a slow editor. But... It's all good. You're not a slow editor. You just got a lot going on. It's all good. Travis, we want to thank you for coming on here, for for sharing with us how you run Dark Dice. It's an amazing uh, live play. We recommend everyone go out and check out and definitely check out the next season in 2023. And uh, you're also, tell us where we can find you and in, in, in all of your shows. You can find me on at Dark Dice Pod uh, on Twitter or at Atreus Endures on Twitter. I do like a sci-fi fantasy RPG thing there as well. Um, and on... Uh, all the things as either dark dice or Liberty, or if you like horror, the white vault is another great podcast I make. That's not D and D related, but also very scary. Go check them all out because they're all amazing. And you also, one final thing, you also uh, made a, a, a setting based on Liberty. And also you have your dark dice book coming out too. If it's out in time, we'll leave it in here. If it's not, we can cut it, but let us know where we can find those. You can find them all at Drive Through RPG, uh, or you can find them on our Patreon, which is uh, the Fool and Scholar Productions Patreon, and they're all there waiting for you, just a few clicks away.
Can't wait to hear Sean and I on Dark Dice. It's going to be so good. 2023. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Travis. Thank you, guys. You're amazing. Thank you for listening to dm to gm If you have questions about getting your game started, send them to us, Russ and Sean. Our email is dm to gmcast at gmail.com. You can also visit us on Facebook or on Twitter at dm to gmcast You'll find all the links down in the description. In the meantime, get your game started. We'll talk to you soon. So with a mailbag, usually we hit the microphone and make a loud noise. Oh, wait, I'll do that too. Yep. You're going to hit the microphone too? Perfect. Yeah, this this is the professional podcast audio that we get. Uh, normally, we answer... We, oh, son of a bitch. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Sign. That's a geometric waveform or arc that rises and falls. And a new Canadian TTRPG and podcast inspired by that almost soothing mathematical motion. Let me show you. The action begins to rise as powerful strangers in a ruined yet vibrant world band together. If you run north, they will chase you. I suggest you stand behind me. Partner, I'd rather stand beside you if you're willing to help. Tension continues to mount higher as our characters must push themselves beyond their usual limits. As I'm climbing into the into the driver's seat, I'm going to say to Sarah, sometimes you got to make tough decisions. I'm driving now. And it peaks as a danger and excitement hits its zenith, leading to great failure or success. Fenriel would be just fire at this point. She straight up might die. Like, this encounter might murder you. You know what? You lit me on fire. We're going to be on fire, baby. And this tension relaxes. The tragedy, but more often humor, that comes with great pals being around a virtual table playing a game. Discover Sign on your favorite podcast player. S-I-N-E. Choices of the characters are theirs to make, but the fate of the world is up to the dice.